Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. Lots of news this week, and as always, the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, for a worry-free travel experience every time. Please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Quick note here, Aaron, you and I are obviously going to chat about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, but we're going to do that on the second half of the show, folks. Obviously, there's a lot of news there. But did you see this news about the Marvels being pushed back from its July 28th release date now all the way to November 10th of this year? So does that seem like uh, when Bob Iger said we're going to spend $3 billion less when we're creating our, our Disney Plus content? Did he also mean, like, right this instant, we're also spacing everything out and uh, including the movies as well? Is it is the budget affecting things this moment today or is this just because they want to work on the movie and make it better i've actually heard a couple of things the marvels got moved again out of its july 28th date but what got pushed in there in fact got moved up from august 11th was disney's haunted mansion movie from what i've been hearing that's been testing very very well and so the notion is rather than put it in theaters in the middle of August, when you've only got like three weeks of box office, you know, summer box office you can grab, Disney wanted to move it forward two weeks so they could really soak up the dough. And in fact, I guess there's, Why there's not some. Why put it out in Halloween month? Haunted Mansion? Halloween? Spooky? Doesn't that jive in any way at all? It does. But, but here's the thing. You, you kind of hit upon it earlier in the show. You were talking about Disney+. Plus. Evidently, the thinking is put it out during the summer months. It's a, it's a funny horror film. It will do decent business. And then if you do the math just in time for Halloween, which... Oh, uh, okay. Then it hits Disney+, Plus and you get subscribers that way. Okay. There we go. Well, that's not the worst thinking in the world. I can get behind that. Okay. Now, the other thing that's worth noting is that... Have you seen some of the talk of, uh, about the CG in regard to this Peyton Reed film that it's not quite what it could have been? Oh, I'll be I'll be shouting about that later on as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Let, let's just get get the punchline out of the way right now. I believe somewhere in the Bahamas, someone is sipping a mai tai uh, uh, while sitting on a very large bag of cash labeled Modoc Effects Money. But go ahead. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Well. They will acknowledge quietly that maybe Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania's visual effects weren't quite where they should be. And some of that came on the heels of there were a lot of last-minute changes made to Black Panther Wakanda Forever. 
And it's, you know, it's just one of these things where they literally pulled people off of working on Ant-Man Quantumania to, it's like, we, we've changed these, these entire sections of the film. We need help. Come here. And so, because they could not move Ant-Man and the Wasp, this impacted the film that came out. So, the thinking in-house at Marvel is like, let's not do that again. And that, obviously, the big push right now is making sure that... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has all of its effects in place and that sort of thing. So it's like, look, let's push the Marvels out by about three months so we'll have some breathing space. We can do the effects properly for that film. And so that's another reason that this, this film got slid to November. It's not just we want to give Haunted Mansion as much chance at the box office as we can. It's let's learn from this mistake. Let's learn from what happened by pulling people off of a quantum mania to work on Wakanda. Let's let going forward. Let's do that. And anybody who sat in the theater to catch the end credit scene saw the 1500 effects houses that worked on this movie. I think the list of people who didn't work on Ant-Man 3 is probably shorter than the list of, of those who did. I mean, it's a very, very, very effects heavy film. So moving on now, we've been keeping tabs on Jeremy Renner, uh, who of course was injured on New Year's Day, and uh, he's been dealing with those thirty broken bones. And wait a minute, do we have bone count coming up? Is that is that a thing we can start doing? Where we, like as he heals, we like bone counts only twenty seven now broken, three have healed. <laughs> well, you know, I tell you what, you go watch this video that okay. Jeremy posted this past Saturday of him doing electrotherapy treatment. And this is what they're using to speed the healing of, and now it's more than 30 bones that were hurt. The text that accompanies this says, electric stimulation, workout, and muscle strength. That's what they're doing. And to keep himself motiva motivated, Jeremy plays the Beatles in the background. So if you're a big Lady Madonna fan, uh, you can go watch that. But he's still chugging along. And speaking of, of chugging along, Angela Bassett, who, you know, is still on track for her Best Supporting Actress uh, win in this year's Academy Awards, uh, was just doing an interview with The New Yorker magazine. The New Yorker also has its companion show over on NPR. And so the author of this piece was interviewing Angela there and was asking about, well, what's it like to work in a movie like Wakanda Forever where there's so much green screen? And, and Angela came back and said, well, you know, if we're talking about like, say the throne room in Wakanda not a lot of green screen it's it's a giant set that yes there's green screen next to the window so you know we then can extend the kingdom physically beyond that point or for that matter when the throne room was flooded when uh you know Namor attacked yes he said literally they they put green screen under the set so we could look down into the depths but so after that it was was surprisingly practical but i don't know if you saw the interview just this week about Emma Thompson who's who's won two academy awards and she talked about how after each Oscar campaign, she got physically ill, that she wanted to go into a dark room and lie down and never answer a question about herself ever again, that it's just this, this grueling, ridiculous gauntlet of constantly doing interviews, constantly making yourself available for dinner and other awards as you, you march toward the, the little gold bald man. Well, speaking of a little man who's not bald, uh, James Gunn 
Did you see the the latest news about uh, what he's up to over up to over at DC Studios in regard to the Superman Legacy and the Bold, uh, the Brave and the Bold movie? No, not yet. What's going on with that now? You know, you can't not upset the Snyderverse folks, and evidently, there's a lot of news circling in regard to well, first of all, the Superman project, Superman Legacy. And evidently, there's a lot of folks out there who are upset because he's looking for somebody in their 30s to play Superman. And I I don't understand why this would be an issue. But Gunn's like, he hasn't been cast yet. I can't answer that question that somebody came back. Well, Superman would be 25 years old? And it's like, nope, Gunn is on social media. That keeps getting repeated. I never said that. And then he went on to say that, I guess, because Batman, uh, the rumor that's making around is Batman is going to be in his mid-40s. It's like, look, people are speculating about both ages. All I ever said was Superman was younger than his 40s and Batman might be a couple of years older than Superman. So I think at this point, James is, is inches away from unplugging from Twitter. I mean, if they're arguing about this, you know, proposed age of the characters, mm-hmm. boy, they're going to be so nitpicky when they get to it. Does Superman wear his red underpants on the outside or not? Oh, because yeah. there's going to be an argument no matter where you go with that. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's going to be some some brouhaha about he, he didn't do it. He's not faithful to the character or mm-hmm. we've already moved past that. We got rid of the underpants, you idiot. But no, no matter what he chooses, he's doomed. There's still a considerable backlash about the Henry Cavell situation. And what James has tried to put out there is like, look, I get what was being said in regard to Black Adam and, you know, the return, uh, you know, Man of Steel 2 and that sort of thing. But on a separate track, he was already working on his Superman movie. In fact, evidently, this is something that James brought with him to show the powers that be at Warner Brothers Discovery. And again, this was one of the reasons why, ooh, you come here and run DC Studios. But in talking about his Superman script, I want to point out it's not an origin story. It focuses on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. Superman represents truth, justice in the American way. He is kindness in a world that thinks of kindness as old-fashioned. So... Downside is we are still quite a ways out from getting to see any of these. Uh, Superman Legacy is scheduled for July of 2025 with Batman making his debut in The Brave and the Bold. It's fall of 2025. Anyway, uh, long as we are keeping people abreast of scheduling things and, and that sort of thing, I, I'm almost hesitant to bring this up because I know that Aaron has a button. I'm about to hit it, folks. Uh-oh. Um, okay, Agatha, Coven of Chaos. Well, why don't we just start with, with what you've always said about this, and then I'm going to share a piece of information that's going to make you so happy. Oh, I don't think, I don't want to be happy at others' misfortune or whatever is about to happen. I think I, my belief is that Agatha, she was popular in a moment. Uh, the Marvel said, "Let's ride a wave of popularity." She was tacked on to mm-hmm. a, a plan that, or you know, she wasn't there before. Now she is, and uh, they're they're having trouble trying to sort out the what is her purpose here? Why did why does she actually exist as a show? And is this working now? 
So where are we at? Right now, uh, the word coming out is the show has been moved from a fall of 2023, early winter of 2024 slot to now it's it's literally gone to TBD, to be determined. And the word that's coming off the set is story problems. Well, at first, wasn't it going to be that they were going to move it? The, the first move back mm-hmm. was because uh, there was some key characters in Daredevil that would play in very nicely. If we just wait a little bit and let that happen, then it will make Wanda better. And so are you mm-hmm. telling me that they may have been telling us a little bit of bullshit? Some of this at Marvel, I mean, there there are pieces moving around the board. You know, and in fact, we, sure. we, we talked on the last show about... Iger coming in and and we've got to get cost controls under the way and the very thing you were talking about, about certain projects shifting release dates and that sort of thing. And toward that end, we actually have an update on Shang-Chi, the sequel. Mm -hmm. And right from the get-go, the sequel for this has been in the works. But initially, they were supposedly looking at a February 2025 release date, which as of right now seems to be where... The Fantastic Four is is going to end up, and I don't know if you saw the the news this past week, but evidently the new thinking about Fantastic Four isn't necessarily that they need to figure out who Reed Richards is, but rather it's they want to lock in just the rights to Storm and then build out from there. So, any thoughts on that? Well, when you, you know when you phrase it like that, it doesn't mm. scream. Uh, we'll cast Emily Blunt, and who would be good for? Hmm, who would be mm. good to pair with Emily Blunt, John Krasinski? It doesn't sound like that is the no, first thought that they're no, having, right? No, I, I think that ship has sailed. Okay, so if if you're gonna go with uh, casting the female lead first, because She's uh, got a brother, right? Mm -hmm. Johnny Storm, Mm -hmm. Johnny and Sue. So they have to kind of be a little salt and pepper shaker match right there where Mm -hmm. where they go together. Mm -hmm. And so I get that. And then she's got to be romantically involved with Reed, right? Mm -hmm. So then you you have to have that chemistry there. So I actually think they're doing something kind of smart because she is the center of, of the heart of that little group. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that you're behind that idea. That said, though, because Shang-Chi 2 was supposed to come out February of 2025, uh, that's been, the can's been kicked on that a little further down the line. Now, on the other hand, if you talk with folks at Marvel, they will flat out say that Shang-Chi 2 has been added to the production calendar, that they are marching forward with pre-production on this thing and they're looking to lock in an actual start of filming but then things might come up like the last minute reshoots of ant-man and the wasp quantum mania that happened just in december and january of this year which we'll get to on the second half of today's show let's just get to it here i saw ant-man of the wasp quantum mania this past Tuesday, uh, you saw it when? Sunday or Monday? Uh, I believe it was Monday. Boy, I honestly don't remember. Story-wise, mm-hmm. there's only one, and I say one dead spot, but it's actually kind of like longer than that. But mm-hmm. when you split up the cast and you have 
Ant-Man and his daughter go one way, and then you've mm-hmm. got Hank and, and Janet and Hope mm-hmm. all on another quest, and they're trying to mm-hmm. reunite. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they end up meeting Bill Murray, and right. I believe that the whole point of, of that meeting is you're anticipating that they're actually going to go meet Kang. Mm-hmm. Because you know the the way that the movie starts off is is that Janet and Kang meet. Now they're back down in the quantum realm, and it's like, oh, there's one person, only one person that we either can go to or or whatever. And it's like, oh, is she going to meet Kang? And it turns out it's Bill Murray. And you're like, hey, what mm-hmm. the hell? And then Bill Murray for the next few minutes goes, I know what you need to do. You need to look out for this one thing that's coming. And you're like, oh, is that Kang? And then he's like, no, it's the it's Modok. It's almost like they're they they're teeing up this giant misdirect, mm-hmm. and it it just kind of falls. It's a double misdirect because first you get the Bill Murray, then you get a Modoc, and and you're still waiting for like Kang to show up, and and then they're cutting between that and Paul Rudd's character and his daughter and their quest. And uh, I gotta tell you, drink the ooze. Mm-hmm. Veb the Jelly Man is the mm-hmm. greatest thing I've ever seen ever put to film. <laughs> I, I I have to admit, some I really love some of Feb's dialogue. You, your buildings are alive. Your buildings aren't. Yeah, the, his curiosity about holes, yep. you know, is whether it's a polite conversation or not, was just a, a delightful thing about you know exploring the differences of other cultures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the, so he he was a delight. There were there were so many odd little weird things. Now, uh, to be fair about the special effects, right? The mm-hmm. the background. I, I went to go see IMAX 3D. Oh, okay. May not have been the the very best choice simply because that film was not shot to be a 3D film specifically. Mm-hmm. It it was meant to be a 2D film that was converted into 3D. And the reason that I can tell you that is because. Was blurry, <laughs> the, you know, like you you focused on on Ant Man in the foreground, and everything in the background is blurry mm-hmm. because they they wanted you to to be focused on Paul Rudd's character in that moment. And so, if it were you know to be shot as a three D film, you would have the background would also be clear most of the time in most instances, so you can marvel at the the depth and the separation between the two things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, three D version wasn't. All that great. However, there were a couple of shots that did look just really, 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 really cool. And it was, you know, like when you're mm-hmm. looking at the, the background space of um, the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's there's no trees, there's no sky, there's no sun. Everything is foreign. Everything is weird. And some people complain about it, it looks fake. And it's like, well, yeah, you've never seen this in your life. It should look not real. It should blow mm-hmm. your mind. It should look otherworldly but but beyond otherworldly because other worlds all have skies you know everyone is equating this to star wars and it's like every damn planet on star wars has a sky this is not really a sky it's like you're inside of an atom it's weirder than than star wars it's 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 better than that it's its own thing Mm -hmm. and i appreciate them doing that so quantum realm yeah totally weird does it look real? Hell if I know. I've never been to the quantum realm. I've got no point of comparison. It just looked really cool in 3D for a couple of hours, and I appreciate what they did with it. I'm happy you brought up the Star Wars comparison, because going in, that's what a lot of 
you know, folks who are supposedly saying to that, yeah. this is really more of a Star Wars movie than it is a Marvel film. And I like the world building. I, I like the, uh, for example, I love the, the, the guy who could read people's minds and get you know, the effect of stop thinking that, please stop thinking yeah. that, you know, and, yeah. or, or for that matter, I, I love that moment, you know, to the effect of give us the bridge code, you know, I'll die first. <laughs> and then, you know, it reads in my 8487. And it's just like, yeah. oh, okay. Um, no, I mean there was a. It was, it was Star Wars, but to be honest, a fun Star Wars. And you know, we haven't really talked about the best effect in the film, which was Jonathan. His work is Kang. You know, mm-hmm. Mister Majors. And are we going to talk about the end credit scenes? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they they actually are, are pulled from from comic panels. Okay, all right. Uh, well, anyway, you, you were still talking about the world, the look. Yeah, well, the, there was there was a lot of waiting, you know, for mm-hmm. for Kang to show up, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, thank God he finally did because there mm-hmm. there were those long moments where I'm like, okay, misdirect number one, misdirect number two, I'm I'm mm-hmm. you better have it on the third one, otherwise I'm gonna start getting antsy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a funny guy. No, I got it. Anyway, I, I did. anyway, it, mm-hmm. no, it was, it was so bad. The, the crowd mm-hmm. is booing me and throwing tomatoes. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So Kang shows up and he and he does great and and you just go man I want to see more of this guy in in everything mm-hmm. and um, I I think a lot of people were way too hard on the film they had I don't know what the hell their expectations were yeah that I mean they I, had I, to I, poo on it quite that hard I mean there I had a couple of lull moments but that's not the worst sin in cinema it's uh, you know that had a great cast paul you know paul rudd always does great the mm-hmm. whole cast did their job they they did it as good as they could ever have expected it to be done so mm-hmm. after that you're really looking at you know special effects and uh, a pacing issue and, and that's about it okay now i want to talk about what went on over at rotten tomatoes because what's kind of interesting the original ant-man got a freshness rating that's what the critics had to say about this film got an 83%. Ant-Man and the Wasp, the sequel, got an 87%. Right now, Ant-Man 3 sits at a 48% freshness rating. The critics pummeled this movie. Now, the disconnect between what the critics said versus the audience. I mean, for example, uh, the original Ant-Man got an 85% you know, audience score. There was a slight step down for the sequel, Ant-Man of the Wasp, 80%. Ant-Man 3 currently sits at an 84% audience score. I mean, right. it's just one point off of where, you know, the original sat. So audiences seem to have enjoyed this. And I have to say, Aaron, I had a great time Man. at this movie. I have since learned a couple of things that... You know, it's like, oh, uh, you know, for example, we alluded to, as we were going to break, reshoots in December and January. Have you heard about this? For Ant-Man? Yeah. Yeah, what what, what do they reshoot, do you know? Remember when, you know, Janet comes back in to the throne room as as Scott is getting pummeled by Kang, Mm -hmm. and the two of them manage to defeat him, but it comes at a cost. The portal closes. Mm-hmm. And that evidently was the original end 
of this movie. It was a cliffhanger that Scott turned to Janet that they are now trapped in the quantum realm. Oh, is that your twist that you got? You got uh, there. We go. Yes. Okay. Okay. I was going to say that that never uh, whatever you got in trouble for with with the twist didn't happen. And I was really wanted to ask, where was that twist supposed to be? And now we know it got reshot. Interesting. It's it's because uh, Feige found out that you got in trouble. And he's like, all right, Jim, let the cat out of the bag. People, people, back to sets. We got to thank Mr. Hill for this one. Uh, <laughs> I, thank you. Thank you. That, 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 looking forward to those letters. No, no, no evidently, no. Okay. what, that makes what sense they... Now. They did friends and family screenings, and what people came out of is they said, "I I love this movie right up Except, until the cliffhanger." Yeah, yeah. And, and and that was it exactly. And so but the that's notion your, that's your Star Wars uh, Empire Strikes Back ending. That's it exactly, and you know you've nailed it. And more to the point, if you are setting up a phase five that has stakes, as in Ant Man and the Wasp are trapped in the quantum realm, that would have been a great place to be. But but evidently, just based on the feedback, it's like okay, let let's reshoot and go for a more ambiguous ending to the effect of Scott picking up his ice cream cake and to the effect of what did Kang say about something really really bad coming? Oh, it's probably nothing. Let's go eat cake. One thing I kind of noticed is the trailers led us to believe that Scott was going to be going on this mission on Kang's behalf so he could like reclaim the missing years that he didn't have with his daughter Cassie. And I'm glad that that was not the storyline that actually happened. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, unfortunately, she became the girl, quote unquote, mm-hmm. don't hurt the girl. Mm-hmm. Leave my daughter out of this. And she just became the thing that was dangled, the, the carrot that was dangled, you know, for mm-hmm. Scott to be motivated to go do the task. Um, But, you know, when she finally gets to be her own character and do her own thing, she was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love when she got to be big and she's like, I'm so hungry. I feel like I need a lime. And he's like, citrus, I know. No, that's it. I, 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 yeah. I, I have to admit, I love that that carried over from when, you know, Ant-Man first got big in Civil War. Can yeah, yeah. anybody have some orange slices? I love that the world is consistent that way. So now, do you believe that Kang, the conqueror of all universes, can be so easily defeated by a simple Ant-Man and a Wasp duo. I mean, he's supposed to have taken down Thor, and is he that much of a menace if if we old little Ant-Man can take him down with the help of a Wasp at the very, very last minute? Well, now, is that what we, you know, the, the scene with the Council of Kang was supposed to establish to the effect of, wait a minute, you know, the, these are the peons. They're not supposed to have been able to do that. And so is this what sets all of that in motion to the effect of, we need to snuff this out. We need to shut down these Marvel characters. I, I don't know if that's, well, because the whole idea was that Kang the Conqueror was banished mm-hmm. and that's who he was meant to become, as mm-hmm. he said in, in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, these other dudes at the, mm-hmm. end, at the end credits, they, they mm-hmm. go by different names. They're not Kang. They're like Centurion and uh, Ramatut, mm-hmm. and uh, the I can't remember the the name of the third one that was there. But anyway, yeah, they're not known as Kangs. Mm-hmm. So I believe that you know Kang the Conqueror, quote unquote, 
is mm-hmm. in a even more quantum realm. Is that what happens when you're in the quantum realm and you get shrunk down again and again? That was my thinking, you know, that we didn't see Kang die. We saw Kang taken to another place. And I, I have the uneasy feeling that wherever he is, now he's particularly upset. So, yeah, I think the the Council of Kangs, or, or the Council, I, I guess they're called the Council of Kangs, but they, mm-hmm. they put him there specifically because mm-hmm. he was a threat. We've mm-hmm. already met He Who Remains at the end of Loki, and Loki defeated him, yep. so his work has been undone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've got all of these now variants and mm-hmm. that that last shot in the in the end credit scene that we're talking about when they actually get mm-hmm. into the arena, mm-hmm. a couple of interesting things is the portals when they teleport in, mm-hmm. uh, it's like two squares that start in the middle and then they go uh, one goes up and one goes down is the same effect used that Reed Richards made his appearance in uh, the Doctor Strange movie. Oh, they're yeah, they're they're using the it appears to be the same tech. Now, mm-hmm. some of the things are that Kang in in the comics is a great great grandson or great 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 grandson of Reed Richards, mm-hmm. and so the fact that they would be using the same tech, and and that that tech by the way is supposed to be like a how you get from one multiverse location to another, you know, it's like mm-hmm. their elevator from one multiverse to another. Right. So, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, using the same visual language in the film kind of now links all of those Kangs to Reed Richards in that sort of way, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I thought was rather interesting to do that. And then the, as they are panning up in, in uh, that arena and there are the many Kangs cheering on this event like they took that it's an an Avengers issue and I want to say it's like 172 or something I could be way way off on it but whatever mm-hmm. this is a huge splash page at the end that they mm-hmm. have basically recreated in you know true to life because they had a lizard type kang kind of lower mm-hmm. in the bottom and then they had one that was a little bit more I can't don't know how to describe it but yeah, it's it's like if you were to look at the page and, and look at that last scene side by side, you're like, oh, wow, they really took directly from the comic book on on this one shot. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's that. And then the, the very, very last end credit scene. Go ahead, Jim. Take the, take it away with that one. Well, I did. we get to meet a Victor Timely, who seems to be in a, a Victorian setting with his device on stage talking about how time controls our lives, but perhaps we can control time. And then they cut... To the audience, and you know, here are Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston's characters from Loki: The Limited Series, and you know, and Owen Wilson is this is the guy, this is the guy you're terrified of, and the face that Tom Hiddleston is making when he's looking at yet another version of of He Who Remains, he's legitimately scared shitless by this character because he knows what has happened and what's threatening to happen. So I gotta say, very, very, very much looking forward to Loki season two, which as I understand it, we're still a few months out from. I'm fascinated to see where this goes as we go phase five into phase six, but at the same time, a I have to say, I'm genuinely concerned about this notion of the cliffhanger that you have to think that there were a a number of stories that keyed off of the fact that 
Ant-Man and the Wasp are trapped in the quantum realm. How do we get them out? I don't think that's that that big of a deal because they they got in easily enough in the uh, on the outside. Uh, Cassie had built a, a way to communicate, hmm. you know, on on that side back to their side. So it's just like you you get a smart writer in fifteen minutes and a bottle of scotch, and you've got your answer out of that snag real quick so where they're stuck at the moment i don't mm-hmm. think really matter especially because you know he's scott's been there before mm-hmm. you know he, he got stuck at the end of the first movie for a minute and he found his way back then he got stuck at the it was mm-hmm. the end of the second movie and then he came back uh, after uh end game or during end game or whatever so like he, he's been down there a number of times and it ain't no big deal <laughs> big deal and uh <laughs> so yeah i don't i don't think it was necessary to leave them down there or mm-hmm. or i don't think it's going to affect too many plot points along the mm-hmm. way of where where they were left physically their location okay a couple of things before we wrap up here the first Ant-Man cost anywhere from 130 to $165 million to make. Uh, second Ant-Man, you start off with the same number, 130, but then the budget, you know, there's this amazing range of could have cost $130 million to make, could have cost $195 million to make. Is that the including the advertising on the back end of that budget? I the keep asking about that and i don't get consistent answers right because i mean the advertising could you know sometimes double a budget depending on the type of movie that you're doing so oh, no if, no doubt know. no doubt talking with people at disney they, they were rather proud that when you look at how big ant-man of the wasp quantumania looks alongside of the two previous ant-mans the fact that they brought it in for supposedly two million, uh, two hundred million dollars, which you know it said okay, the number we will admit to for the second Ant Man movie is one hundred ninety five. So we got a movie that looked this much better for just five million dollars more. On the other hand, if you go back to last week's show, folks, we were talking about the box office projections for Ant Man of the Wasp: Quantum Mania, and it was initially that the film over its first three days in domestic release would make $95 million and then 120 for the President's Day weekend. And it turns out they were right on the money there. If anything, the three-day total exceeded what the box office production. They did make $95 million, they made 106 but for the full weekend, they were dead on the money. They made 120 in North America. Overseas, on the other hand, Disney's a little freaked out. They were initially projecting that that was where the real money would be. That they were talking about how they'd make $160 million internationally just in the first three days this was in theaters. And Aaron, as of right now, we are six days into the release and overseas box office for Ant-Man and the Wasp is $127 million. And again, that's the six-day total, not the three-day total. Depending on who you're talking about, internationally, this film is doing half of of what it was initially projected or maybe two-thirds of what was projected. But this is kind of freaking folks out at Disney. And and there's already people who are kind of pointing fingers to the effect of, look, the first two Ant-Men were released in July, uh, July of 2015 and then July of 2018. And they were, quote-unquote, fun summer films. And we put this one out in February. 
And we are paying the price overseas because we didn't put this out in the window that the last one went out in. And the fear is now that Ant-Man 3 may not do the business overseas, not because of what you were saying about the effects or not because they changed the ending, but they just they picked the wrong time of year to put this thing out. Well, it would really suck if you had to make all of your creative decisions based on a month on the calendar. Like Because if Ant-Man came out in summer, that pushes the entire schedule back. It does. It does. But when you talk at people at the studio, I mean, for example, there is a reason that Disney claims particular dates four and five years in advance. You know, I mean, they have... They have the research, they have all of the info that tells them this is the weekend to bring out that movie. One of the reasons that Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny kept getting kicked a year and two years down the line is like, look, everything we have in hand tells us this is a movie that has to come out the weekend before the 4th of July. That is the spot for an Indiana Jones film to come out and do billions of dollars. You know, if you put that very same movie out in theaters in October, it wouldn't do half the business. There were just some films that are supposed to come out during the summer. And the, the fear right now at Disney is like, Ant-Man is a summer release. We should have realized that. So again, you talk with people at Disney and they will suddenly take you down, for example, well, you know, Chinese New Year, they're all traveling. You know, they don't go to movie theaters when they're trying to get home for Chinese New Year. And it's like, okay, all right. I think, you know, initial reviews may have soured some people on going to see Ant-Man right away, or they might wait for it to come out on Disney Plus, because that's still a, a consideration that I don't know how how well they've baked Disney Plus into their formula yet, because mm, this a, is true. a lot of people know it's going to show up there eventually. And it's like, I ah, will just wait a couple of months and it'll be there and that'll be fine. Um, but with all that being said, you know, I, I think a lot of people still, even though there were some really crap reviews right up front, still have a lot of goodwill towards a Marvel movie and they go, well, it may not be the best Marvel movie, but chances are it'll still be pretty okay. And I don't think Marvel has done poorly enough to uh, er erode all of the goodwill. Someone had messaged me on Twitter and they thought, you know, is have they lost their way? And I'm like, I don't, I really don't think Marvel can lose their way with a single misstep. I don't even know if I'd call this a misstep right now or no, not. No, um, no. But yeah, to lose your way is to go way, 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 way off track and never be able to find your way back. And I, I mm -hmm. think uh, course correction is always part of their strategy of uh, what worked, what didn't, what can we learn from this experience, et cetera. So yeah, I, th I think uh, overall it, it, it told an individual story which, mm -hmm. thank God, because I don't want it to just be a long uh, prequel for mm -hmm. a set of movies that will come out years from now. I don't think that would have been satisfying. So a self-contained story, I think, was was pretty good. And, uh, yeah, it, it worked. I mean, it, I, I could nitpick and say you could, you could have cut the whole uh, Hank and, and Janet get separated mm -hmm. from the gang. And you could have tightened up that movie by a good half hour. Mm -hmm. And made it really tight and really move and get in and out uh, and have more rotation in, in the actual theater because you trim half an hour off. You might be able to get another you know play in by the end of the day. Yeah, but if you did that, you would have lost a lot of the, the wonderful Michelle Pfeiffer badass stuff. Well, you could still make her a badass if, if she's, you know, with the gang. You know, you, no. you're just cutting out the stuff where she's sitting at the table. And yeah, I mean, there's a couple cool fight scenes that, you know, 
we're, we're nice, but yeah, just, just make the whole gang have to go through it together and do some teamwork. I don't know. There was so much stuff that Michael Douglas got to do that was, was wonderfully understated. You know, particularly, am I late? <laughs> you know, that, well, I, I love when he gets to the bar and he's like, I presume that you have something here that will get me intoxicated. And they're like, yes, sir. He's like, well, give me some of that. You know, it's okay. like, yeah, that's, that seems yeah. about right. Cool. All right. Now we've taken you behind the scenes here on Ant-Man of the Wasp Quantum Mania. But if you, you know, if you want to go behind the scenes on something that's part of your day-to-day life, and, and that is advertising, folks. I cannot say enough good things about Aaron's brand new podcast, 30 Second Street. So what am I going to learn about on this week's show? Actually, this week is the COVID show. This is uh, the, the week when I had COVID. And uh, mm-hmm. so I said, hey, Ron, you're in charge of the show this week. I'm just going to sit back and shut up for a change. Mm-hmm. And uh, since Ron actually does research, cancer research for a living mm-hmm. for the last many decades, uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait for the audience to shout to him, hey, do your own research. Because <laughs> he, he actually does mm-hmm. his own research, like for a living, for reals. For reals, he's, he gets paid. Uh, to, to do research. So we talk about how misinformation about COVID got started because yes, there's a lot of it. And we talk about real facts of things about COVID that still exist today. And you know what? It turns out when people wore masks, we had a much lighter flu season. Oh, we had God, a lot more yes. people that had uh, no uh, respiratory illnesses mm-hmm. And uh, the numbers dramatically improved across the board for so many people who like had cancer Mm -hmm. and stuff like that because they weren't fighting stupid colds Mm -hmm. because everybody was wearing a mask. So uh, when people go, mask doesn't help with COVID, actually they did and they helped in a thousand other ways that you're not aware of because you're not looking for that information. Ron does research for a living. I didn't have to talk. He does all the talk. And if you don't like it, blame Mm -hmm. him. At Ron Gold, 32nd Street. <laughs> okay, okay. No, no, no. I really look forward to that one. How cool. But in between our, our next Mud episode and, and if after folks finish 32nd Street, mm-hmm. but if they're looking for more Aaron Ad, Adams goodness, where, where can they find you on social media? The best place is always at Twitter, and you can find me under the handle at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Speaking of social media, you can still find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. I want to remind you, we do have a couple other podcasts here you might enjoy listening to. We have, of course, Disney Dish uh, that I normally do with Len Testa, but Mr. Testa and his lovely daughter Hannah are on our cruise this week, so I'm doing a solo show. Drew Taylor and I will be recording a brand new fine tuning tomorrow where hopefully he will talk about. He actually, Aaron, did you see where he actually got the talk? With Pete Docter, the head of Pixar, this past week, who who then opened up about what the, you know they felt went wrong with uh, Lightyear last summer. All, all that means is that Drew answers his phone because <laughs> you know he, people call him all the time that are important and in the industry that have you know actual jobs doing the things that we talk about. And so, uh, no, I'm not surprised that he talked to Pete Docter. Like, he just probably picked up the phone. He's like, Pete, what are you doing? I'm trying to have dinner. What, what do you want? <laughs> Okay, I, I I love your take on the universe. Uh, and then we have a, a fourth podcast here. We have Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gunn, and uh, he and I have to get a new episode of that in the works shortly. So tell you what, folks, if you could do Aaron and I a favor, uh, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts 
and not only uh, rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street. That would be helpful. Also, if you really, really like what you're listening to here, if you want to head over to Bandcamp uh, and subscribe, that would be terrific. On behalf of Mr. Adams and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.